welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana from Reed Smith, and welcome to Tech Law Talks. Today, we're going to start one of our podcast series on AI and legal departments and what legal departments should know about AI. And today with us is Daniel Broderick from Black Boiler. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Anthony. It's great to be on with you. So, so Dan, let's just start. I think a lot of legal departments are being asked by senior management otherwise that they should be start using AI. How can we use AI? We want to be more efficient. So if you could just start with what you're seeing in terms of what legal departments should be thinking about when they think about what AI can do for them. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. So since the, since the news about ChatGPT and OpenAI and all of this stuff hit the, hit the cycle since I think almost a year ago now, it's been a massive uptick in people reaching out to us and I'm sure other AI companies as well wondering what they can do and what problems they can solve and wanting to experiment with AI. In Black Boiler, we started around 2016 is when Black Boiler started. We're a company we automate high volume and repetitive contract review and markup. So we like to work with companies that review and markup a lot of contracts, sometimes on counterparty paper and companies that have playbooks, quite frankly. This is how we want to do this. We do a lot of it. And so when we founded ourselves in 2016, it was kind of in the last hype cycle of AI, which was interesting. And we started going and we would talk to people who had put together kind of like the AI board or, you know, an AI advisory committee within the organization to explore. And the thing that I, I would advise people to do is to be thinking about AI not as a separate standalone product, but what pain points do you really have right now? Yeah. And with these pain points, are there AI products out there that can help solve them? Because then it's the you're focus gonna... on the process, right? It's the focus <laughs> yes. on the business process. And can you automate something in that process and maybe leverage AI, right? It doesn't even have to be AI, but that is right. one of the things that I think a lot of people forget is it's a tool to help a process, not the other way around. So Exactly. Our CTO likes to say that it's, it's only AI until it works, and then it's just another tool in the toolbox. Right? <laughs> um, so, so I would say that, and then I I would continue to look. Don't change your before before all this hype about AI and ChatGPT or general pre-trained models, and more generally, you know, people were looking to solve problems, and I'd say continue to look to solve problems. In fact, double down on looking to solve those problems, those same pain points. Just open your eyes to and learn about if AI can help you solve those problems, right? And the AI that's going to help you solve that problem isn't always going to be generative AI. It may be some other type of AI that's maybe not quite as new or been around a little bit longer, but is custom built to solve a very specific problem. What I think is really amazing about the current space win with AI and the current developments that we have right now, and I, I say this, but the market's changing so fast that you could listen to this podcast in a week from now, what we're saying is going to be different. It's going to have change. It's going to be changed. And nobody, I don't think anybody's clairvoyant and knows exactly what's going to happen. But 
what's so cool about the current AI is how quickly you can build a product and solve a problem to about the 70 or 80% threshold, right? It's really good at getting there. And then if you have to get over, so you can prove points, you can prove a use case, but then when you're trying to squeeze out that last bit of performance, in some places you're gonna have to move away from generative AI, but in other places, generative AI is gonna be tremendous. Let me give you an example, right? Say, and I'm gonna stick in the contracting space because that's what I know, I know really well. Say you're a CLM provider and you have a ton of executed agreements, right? And maybe, maybe you're a sales organization. So you need to know, you know ahead of time, you need to know every single renewal date that's gonna be in there, what types of notice provisions you have if you have any sort of increase, all of those things. You know you're gonna be able to have that information. Now, you could use generative AI to do that. You could also use other types of transformer models that are gonna get you a little bit better accuracy to do that. Where Gen AI is gonna be really powerful is when you have those ad hoc queries you have to do against all of your, your entire contract database. Think back to like the pandemic in 2020 when people all of a sudden had to get their hands wrapped around what, what kind of type of pandemic exclusions do we have in our contracts or in our force majeure clauses, right? And nobody had built out these models previously to identify this. Well, well generative AI will be able to do that pretty darn well, maybe not as well as some other types of AI that are currently exist out there, but it will do a great job for you at getting the 80 to 85% threshold that you need to get to. So, so Dan, let's talk about this a little bit, because I do think everyone's focused on generative AI, but mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about what, how you've been using AI already in contract management, because I know that's a big, you know, whether it's machine mm-hmm. learning or otherwise, but I think, again, I think some people don't understand that a lot of the contract management systems out there have technology that, that solves a lot of the problems that you're looking for, right? Like it's, whether it's contract lifecycle management, whether it's I need to update a certain provision and the like, and you're looking for those provisions. So if you could just be a little a primer for what are you already doing using, whether it's AI or other technology in the contract space? Yeah. So at Blackboard, we're expressly not a CLM, right? We, what we do is we try to automate yeah. negotiation. So where we've been using AI is in how do we decide in a new contract that comes in that has to be reviewed by an organization, we have to essentially make four decisions about that, that contract, right? We have to say what in that contract is acceptable, what has to be rejected, what needs to be revised, and what's missing, right? So we answer those four questions. And then with uh, accept and reject, that's pretty simple. That's I mean, not simple. It's just, it's, it's accept or reject. It's a binary, right? Like it's either yep. you put the text back in the document untouched or you put strike through track changes code around the text right what's harder is how do i revise this text to make it uh, come into compliance with our standards and then if there's text missing it's well where does it go in that document right where where's the appropriate place for it to go and there's a lot of stuff that goes around where does it go right like i need to make sure i'm using the right defined terms when i insert our our, our thing. I need to make sure I'm using the right numbering structure in the document that I'm inserting it into, right? And the right tab location, all those other things. So all of that is difficult. So we use a bunch of different things, right? When we bring in a document, we have to just chunk that document up into 
into pieces. We use some pretty simple stuff there in a whole text pot processing pipeline. Then we go in and we figure out who the document is talking about. We use some stuff called named entity recognition in that process, as, along with some custom-built uh, tools that we've built internally ourselves by our uh, computational linguist PhD, Dan Simonson's built some stuff. And then we're using some, uh, when we compare text uh, to other texts that we've looked at in the past, because that's how Black Boiler learns. We learn by comparing what is under analysis to what the client has previously reviewed and edited, right? What's really interesting about Blackboard is we're using historical work product as the machine learning annotation, right? Track changes mm -hmm. is annotation data, right? And we use that mm -hmm. to train our systems. So we're using all sorts of different types of, uh, of language models. We use some BERT, which is a large language model, which is not a, not a generative model, but it is a large language model. We use that. We also use some, some older stuff as well that's been around for a long time. TDF, IDF type of stuff, which is term frequency, inverse document frequency for, for doing certain things. And what we do at Black Boiler is we, we use the simplest thing that works really well. And for each step of your text processing pipeline, that might be something else. But what you need to be able to do is have a processing pipeline where you can experiment with each individual step. And as new technologies come out and new techniques come out to solve different steps along that path, you're able to swap those in, experiment, see if you get better results. And if you do, use that new technology. And that's kind of where we are right now with, with uh, some of the GPT stuff. And I would assume in terms of what you're describing the process, I think it's important is that this is not a one and done type of thing. Like if you're using these types of, whether it's machine learning models, whatever, it's if you have to always constantly update, change it and the like, as you said, to get better performance, um, I want to talk a little bit about just even in terms of if people are thinking about this, how much does it depend on, like you're saying, you're looking at contracts, but do you have specific, I don't know if it's templates that are like for specific types of contracts. So you may have vendor contracts, you may have customer contracts. Like So for each type of contract, I'm assuming you would develop your own model in terms of what's required and like, correct? That's right. So a really easy way to think about it, Anthony, is like if you have a playbook or a rule set, we yep. basically train by playbook. So a lot of times mm -hmm. you're like, we'll have an NDA playbook, right? We'll have a services agreement playbook. We'll have a playbook for our data protection agreements, right? So that's yep. what we're doing. You might even have more than one. You might have a playbook for our services agreements under 50,000, and we might have one for our services agreements over 100,000, right? Like a little bit different flavors of what you're going to do. Sometimes people even do this as geographic locations. Yep. We have one a playbook for North America. We have a playbook for Europe. So that's that's how we develop it. And again, like we're trying to mimic human performance, right? We're trying to just do what you've done in the past. Uh, be that junior associate. Be that junior council person who's who's reviewing a lot of contracts. Yeah. yeah and I think that that's key. So I think for everyone out there, I think it is important to start thinking about it's not you're getting you know, it's a tool, right? It's like everything else. You've got lots of business processes that you may want to start automating in some way. You've got to define it. And then you've obviously constantly have to update and make sure it's working correctly because, you know, there could be a change in the law. There could be a change in the regs. It could be a change in how you want to manage that risk. So you change the provision. You know, if you have a new business opening up, it may alter the way the contracts look. So I think all of those impact how you're going to use the tool effectively, because if you're not monitoring it, you have problems. I mean, that's one of the challenges I've seen, particularly with the machine learning is if there's a new data set, 
and new changes happen, the tool isn't working anymore. So you have to keep constantly monitoring it. What are some of the other challenges associated with using AI or any of these tools to automate processes? Yeah. So one of the things I think is not talked enough about in all of this is change management and how that ties to psychological, like everybody's experience with AI is different, right? You're going to have people in your organization who are like any sort of adoption cycle, the early adopters, the people who love it. You're going to have the people who don't trust it. They don't want to put any of their information in it. And under you have to understand that and be able to work with all of those people. But one of the things that I think is just massively important here is if you really want AI to be adopted across the entire organization, you have to take people out of that decision-making process to use it. You have to put it into your existing pipelines in a way that you're not making people make a, a decision because then you have to make, you have to change everybody's behavior across your entire organization. And that's really difficult. Whereas if yep. you can get things into workflows or processes where that AI is automatically being leveraged and then flowing to the humans, you're going to get much more uptake in the usage. It's, it's automatic. And yep. those results are going to be easier to, to let, to monitor. You're going to be able to tell, or, you know, how much faster things are going to be getting done. So one of the things that we really love at this point with Blackboard, and I didn't, what well, didn't feel this way when I first started selling, because this is the first time I had ever sold was with, with Blackboiler, was we love to hear when people have workflow tools already implemented. That is a signal to us. This person has workflow implemented. They have a process in place. They are ready to take that next step to say, all right, let's see if we can layer some AI on top of these workflows. Yeah. And that, I'm going to go back to it. We talk about people process technology, right? Yeah. You have to have the right people. I agree with you. Change management is one of the most important aspects of this because we often find, you probably see the same thing, you know, in terms of workflows, they want to go from A to Z immediately. And you really have to go through each, right? It's, it's not enough that you can say in two months, we're suddenly going to be all automated. It's a process. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure it's the same thing. You have to do pilots. You have to test yeah. it. You have to have, and again, you have to find, in terms of people, I'm sure you do the same thing. You find the people that are early adopters. You train the tool because there's, as you said, there's clearly going to be frustrations, mistakes. The first few times you use it, it doesn't work quite as well. You have to go back and try it. People get frustrated and say, this, is, this isn't worth it. Why the hell do we purchase this product? Right? That see that all the time. And mm-hmm. Having people who are willing to try, fail, yep. right? Failure is a big part of the process, right? The yep. first time you do it, it's not going to work great. You have to have somebody doing it. But I think that's absolutely critical in terms of, as you said, when you're trying to adopt any of these technologies, you have to have a good process first before you can start saying, okay, how am I going to automate it? So I think that's that's critical for this. All right, so Dan, what do you see in terms of the future in terms of <laughs> how this is going to play out. I mean, we talked a little bit about how generative AI may help and that's sort of the next phase. But, you know, and I, and lots of people are afraid that it's going to take over the world and all the lawyers are going to be gone because, you know, no one's going to have to review any contracts anymore because AI is going to do it for them. So give us a sense of what you see in the next five to 10 years in this space. Yeah. So I don't know if I want to pontificate about what's going to happen with AI taking over the world, <laughs> but uh, uh, I'll, I'll leave that to the to, to some others. But 
in the contract space, I believe in the next five to 10 years, if you're in a, in an organization that is not leveraging AI in your contracting process, you're going to be behind your competitors, whether that's pre-execution or post-execution, you know, and understanding the difference between those two, between those tools, uh, what's a pre-execution tool, what's a post-execution tool is important as well, but um, you will be behind. And I think that if you are not, if you're just trying to do experiments right now with what looks cool and is fun to work with, you will not be getting your organization in place to really leverage that those tools in the long term. Because there is oftentimes a lot of work that has to go into leveraging AI. You know, like I think about all the time, like the document management systems, people want to leverage their document management systems to help do repetitive work. Well, how do you know what in that document management system you actually want the system to train on? There's a lot of stuff. And if you're not, if you haven't been super organized within a law firm in this instance, you know, making sure all of your documents are coded properly, all of your kind of, all of that information is input into your document management system really well. Well, it's going to be really hard to leverage that data in a way that's helpful, right? A motion for summary judgment in a single plaintiff employment action is going to be much, much different than a motion for summary judgment in a bankruptcy case. And you're not going to like, you know, if you just yeah. have a pool of data that says there are motions for summary judgment, well, like, and you're trying to kind of leverage that data to improve it, it's going to be difficult. So I think what we're going to see quickly who's been really diligent in with their data and we're going to see people who are behind and then we're going to find out who just has been ignoring it altogether yeah. no, in the next five to 10 No, years. I agree. And look, and I think I, I would say that if you haven't started, you have to, but it's not, yeah. the first step is not try to find the AI tool that I'm going to use. I think as we keep mm-hmm. saying is let's think about what are the steps we're going to need to take anyway. If you don't have a good process in place, if you don't have a playbook for all different types of agreements, yep. like that's what you need. What is a template? What are the key provisions? I mean, I think, I think a lot of organizations have started doing that, but I think again, AI you're going to need that to use the AI. But I think one of the things that I think is a danger is people going and buying the product first without having the steps in place. And I think also, you know, I'm a big proponent of AI is not a cost savings. AI is process improvement, which may result in cost savings. But I think another thing that I think people start thinking is, well, I'm going to buy this tool and now I don't have, I don't need 30 people doing contracts. I can do five, and that's not going to happen. This goes to the change management point. It's going to be a while. However, those same 30 people doing contracts are going to be better at their job. They're going to be more efficient. And then over time, those same people could be doing something else, right? Not necessarily the work that they don't need to do, right? It's They're going to be able to do negotiations, right? They could be on the phone pushing back and doing more of that work. So I think that's one of the things that people have to understand is AI is not a cost savers. It's an efficiency, right? It it makes it better and it's probably a better way of doing it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's cheaper, you know, certainly in the short term. I I have two thoughts on that. Yeah. It's a great point. We've had clients who have come to us and said, you know what? We have, we have, we want to solve some, a couple of things, but one of the things we want to solve is we want our clients to think we're easier to do business with. Yeah. So even if we don't save money, 
if we cut our cycle time down and can yeah. get back to our clients Absolutely. more quickly, that's a huge value to us, right? Yeah. So that's one. The other is you've got that, you know, we work with um, in a lot of places, but like sometimes we just come across these groups and it's like, we have a particular specialization in, in the architects, engineers, and contractors space. So we, we do a lot of work in that space just because you're mm-hmm. always signing on counterparty paper, almost always in that space. But you'll get these groups, like, you know, like a, like a group that has like, you know, we've got, you know, four people reviewing contracts for us and that's what they do all day long. And Bill and Cindy have been doing this for the last 20 years and they're going to retire. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got a problem because Bill and Cindy know everything, right? Yep. And so one of the things that we say is like, like, with, like, well, we become institutional knowledge too, right? When Bill and Cindy retire, when they leave and walk out that door, you don't want all of that institutional knowledge going with them, right? Whereas if you've got processes in place, you've got kind of knowledge capture systems, knowledge management systems in place, and then machine learning and artificial intelligence layered on top of that, that becomes an asset of your organization, right? And it goes exactly to that point that you brought up, Anthony, like, well, now you've got to find somebody else to come in and hire and train. Well, you're not doing this by themselves. They've got these assets sitting there that can help them do these things. And maybe if Cindy and, 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 and Bill had retired, you would need to hire three people instead of two. But now you can hire kind of one and a half or two. So, Well, uh, thanks, Dan. I think we'll end here. So uh, thanks for, for joining us. Hopefully this was helpful to the legal departments out there and welcome any questions or thoughts. Again, this is going to be part of a continuing series. So hopefully you'll be joining us soon. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you later. Great. Appreciate it, Anthony. Bye. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com. And our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.